0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. This is the fifth Sunday of Lent. We are now uh, very close to Easter. So close, in fact, that one of the three things that we need to happen in order to celebrate Easter have already happened. The first of those events is the vernal equinox. When the sun sits right over the equator of the earth, Uh, that is the uh, spring. And so once we see the first day of spring, which happened yesterday morning, early in the morning, we're waiting for the next full moon. The moon, if you've noticed last night, is about half full. It's going to be completely full on March 28th, which is next Sunday, Palm Sunday. So next Sunday, we'll have the second thing that we need, the vernal equinox, and then a full moon. Then we look for the next Sunday. So the Sunday after March 28th is April 4th, and that will be Easter. This is how the ancient people of God calculate the Passover, which is what Easter is. In many Christian cultures, the word that they use for Passover, uh, for Easter, is either Passover or Pascha. This is the feast that we're celebrating. We're celebrating the Passover feast that was completed and fulfilled in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're reminded of this in the uh, words of Jeremiah, where he talks about that covenant that was made with the people of God at the time of the Passover. He talks about the day that he led them out of Egypt. So you'll remember that in the story of the Exodus, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they uh, beseech him to let the people go. And there's this series of plagues. And the last plague is the angel of death that comes over the houses and they have to sacrifice the Passover lamb, the Paschal lamb, and they take it. His blood and put it on the lintel and the doorpost, and the angel of death passes over them. They consumed the lamb completely right? That night while standing, because in haste then they leave Egypt. This is the Passover, and this is the covenant that God makes. He says, if you will worship me, if you will make me your God, then I uh, will be your God, and you will be my people. And that means that you'll live according to those covenant promises, which we just read in the Decalogue, right? That we're supposed to love God, that we're supposed to serve him, that we're supposed to love our neighbor as ourself. This is the, the central part of the covenant. If we love God, and we love our neighbor ourself, then we're in that covenant relationship with God. The father here in Jeremiah relates that covenant relationship to the relationship of marriage. We see lots of different ways that the Lord relates to us as a shepherd, as a father. Here he relates to us as a husband, and we're his bride. And this is a very good analogy because it really centers on that covenant contractual relationship between a husband and wife. A husband and wife promise that they will have fidelity to one another. And when one person is uh, committing infidelity, the covenant is broken. The contract that they made is broken. That relationship can be healed, but it has to be recognized that the covenant has been broken, right? The agreement has been broken. And this is what the Lord says. You have to recognize that you've broken your agreement with me. You've committed adultery by going after other gods, by worshiping other things other than me, by looking for security and safety in other places than me. And of course, a person's response to that would be, well, then punish them, right? Let them get what they deserve. Or, I'll never talk to that person again. And to cut ourselves off. This is to to destroy ourselves, right? the Lord's response is the complete opposite. He says, now that you've broken the covenant, I'm going to give myself to you even more fully. I'm going to be even more intimate with you than I was before. This is the graciousness and the mercy of God. His promise is you shall have even more intimacy with me. You won't have to go to a a tabernacle where the priest goes in for you and where you're distant from me. I'm going to make you my tabernacle. You're going to be the place where I dwell. I'm going to place my Holy Spirit with you, So that you don't have to go to somebody else and say, tell me about the Lord. Tell me about the Lord. But the Lord will dwell within each and every heart so that we have a true intimate relationship with him. This is the promise that's made to the prophet Jeremiah that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ fulfills. He goes to Jerusalem, he goes to the tabernacle where the people were still keeping this covenant kind of tabernacle worship, and he tells them, a new tabernacle is here, my body is now the tabernacle, I am the great high priest, and of course they kill him for it, right? Jesus celebrates three Passovers in John's Gospel. It's not like Matthew, Mark, and Luke where there's one Passover at the very end before he's betrayed and crucified. In John's Gospel there's three Passovers and he keeps getting closer and closer and closer to being that Passover feast. He celebrates the first one already in chapter 2 of John's Gospel. You remember he goes in and he cleanses the temple at that meeting. Then there's a second one in John chapter 6 where we see the feeding of the five thousand. And you remember that relationship where he's again showing us that he feeds us in the wilderness, the way that God fed his people in the wilderness. And now in chapter 12, he's there to stay. He's going to be in Jerusalem for the rest of the gospel. And he's now again showing us how it is that he is the Paschal feast, how it is that he is the sacrifice. Mary in chapter 11 has already anointed his body. You remember he goes to Bethany and she anoints him and the disciples get Really angry, you spent a lot of money on this. They're preparing his body for burial, right? And uh, Mary and Martha, here right close to Jerusalem and Bethany, have been telling everybody about what Jesus did for their brother, brother Lazarus. You remember that he rose Lazarus from the dead. And they've been saying, look, here's the guy that we've been telling you about that rose our brother from the dead. And so this great crowd has been swelling to hear about this Jesus that's performing all these miracles. And as this crowd gathers, these Greeks come and they say, show us this guy that you're telling us about that's done this great miracle. And what Jesus does is he always answers the question that the people should have answered, right? The Greeks ask, let us see Jesus. And Jesus is saying, well, seeing me is not enough, right? Knowing who I am, as we've seen before, like the demons do, is not enough. Seeing the miracles is not enough. He tells them what it is they need to know. What they need to know is they have to die as he dies for us. We have to participate in sacrificing ourselves the same way that he sacrifices himself for us. What does this mean? We know that people can make their lives really small, right? We can make our lives really small because we're afraid, Because we're afraid of getting sick, or we're afraid of losing our life, or being embarrassed, or having bad things happen to us, or uh, difficult experiences. And so we avoid other people, we avoid difficult situations, we don't go out too much, and our lives become smaller and smaller and smaller. Pretty soon we start not liking other people, we don't like the way they do things, and so we're going to keep restricting our lives until they become smaller and smaller and smaller. And what have we done? We've killed ourselves. We've made our lives so small that they become meaningless, right? What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be sacrificially loving one another. We're supposed to be loving one another so that we're able to give up our lives for one another, right? This is what heroes do. Right? This is what heroes do when they go on the side of the road to touch somebody who's bleeding, to help somebody who's in need. This is what people do when they go off on adventure to help other people, to to give them food or to provide shelter for them or to, to help them in difficult circumstances. We go into people's homes that aren't as clean as we'd like them to be or we go into places that aren't as safe as we'd like them to be. We end up going to neighborhoods we would no longer visit out of love right? Our lives become bigger as we sacrifice ourselves, as we do these things that are hard and that are dangerous. Our lives become bigger and bigger. And this is what Jesus means about dying and then rising again and our life becoming larger than we can ever imagine when we practice this self-sacrificial love. So he tells them, if you want to participate with me, you have to love the way that I love. You have to make your life big through giving up your life. And then they ask, well, how is it that, uh, that you're able to be the, the Son of Man, that you're able to be the Messiah when you say that you're going to go away, right? And so they've got no way of understanding the Holy Spirit. They're not even in that place. And so Jesus says, you have to have the light and focus on the light while you have it. Right? You have to seek the light. What does that mean? That means seeking the ways of God, seeking righteousness, seeking His truth. That has to be our primary goal. He says, you're not going to find truth if you're not looking for it. You're not going to find wisdom if you're not looking for it. You're not going to find joy or love or grace or mercy or any of the things of light if we're not looking for it. If that's not our goal. Our goal has to be this life in Christ, this light. And the more that we search for that goal... Surprise, surprise, the more we find it. The more that we live in that light. The writer to the Hebrews shows us how it is that Christ is able to be both priest and sacrifice. He explains to us how it is that Christ is sitting in the role of the priest. He tells us the priest has to have a couple of things. He has to be man, right? And Jesus is fully man. He tells us that he has to be appointed. God the Father appoints him. He tells us that he has to be able to sympathize with those that he sacrifices with, right? We have to have sympathy with one another if we're going to be in the role of priest. We have to have empathy for one another. And of course, Christ empathizes for us. He came to live and to die as one of us. So he's able to have sympathy for our um, transgressions and our temptations. He has to be a priest who's able to, to be clean and to and to cleanse. And because he is the perfect priest, priest because he's without sin he's able to go and offer himself as a perfect sacrifice and we read that he does this in the order of Melchizedek why is that so important You'll remember that all of the priests in the Old Testament are in the line of, of Levi, right? That Moses and his brother Aaron are Levites. And so all of the priests are from this Levitical tribe. But Jesus, you remember, is from the tribe of Judah. He wouldn't be one of those Levitical priests, right? And, and Melchizedek, you'll remember, was this priest that comes to Abraham, right? Before Levi. He predates Levi, right? Because Levi is this great great-grandson of Abraham. Right? And so this priest, Melchizedek, who we read as a king of Salem, the king of peace, and a priest, comes and Abraham gives him a tent. He gives him an offering. And what we don't read about Melchizedek is where he comes from. His lineage is not known. He's sent by God to perform this task as king and as priest. And so Jesus, like Melchizedek, is the perfect king, he's the perfect priest. And he offers himself as the sacrifice. He is the perfect sacrifice. And if we would participate in his Passover, if we would receive his body and blood, we too will have the angel of death go over us. And he will lead us out of the slavery of temptation and the slavery of sin and to everlasting life. And he says that he will bring us salvation if we, that great theological term, if we what? Obey him. There you go. That's it. Isn't that easy? Just obey Him. We should have started with that, right? I should have just said, obey God, and then we could all go home, right? It's just as easy as that. You can't do it. Most people can't even obey their own minds. Most people have a terrible time even making up their own minds and figuring out, what do I want to do? And then doing that, right? To figure out what God wants us to do, right? What did this colic this morning say? You alone can bring into order the unruly wills and affections of sinners. We can't do it. In other words, we can't organize our own thoughts and we can't organize our own desires. Only God can do that. He's the one that does that. The Holy Spirit is the one that organizes our hearts and our minds so that we are able to Perceive the will of God and we're able to be obedient because it's only in obedience to the Father that we become adopted as sons and daughters through grace. What does Jesus mean, while you have the light? What does that mean, while you have it? St. John Chrysostom perplexed over this. He said, is Jesus talking about the three years of his ministry while the light is among you? Or is he talking about while you're alive in Christ. Once you've received the Holy Spirit and you have this light for this period of time. And St. John Chrysostom said he's talking about both. He's talking about to those people that are present with Christ, pay attention, listen up, this is what you're supposed to be doing. To us, we've been given the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to listen up, Pay attention and follow the light. Follow the will of God. We've got this much time, brothers and sisters. Life is short. We've got a little tiny window where we can look for the light of God, where we can look for His truth, and we can allow Him to change our hearts and minds, to make our our what our wills and affections in line with Him so that we may live in the light, so that we may be the light in the world, so that we may manifest the love of God to our neighbors and to all those that we come into contact with. May the light shine so bright among us and out of our hearts that this world will be transformed through the grace and power of the Holy Spirit.